fired up for another episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. A constant barrage of eye-opening conspiracies and ad-libbed innuendo. Featuring Chris Field. On the streets, he's known as a jackass. Parker Clare. Yes, there's no two ways about it. He's super white. And Alex Sennard. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. Also featuring the talents of Bigfoot as your producer. Now, let's join the boys for their latest episode. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. My name is Chris. With me, as always, is Bert and Ernie. And we watched, for our 23rd episode of the podcast, The Number 23, starring Jim Carrey uh, and that kid from every other movie ever made. Wait, also really? Is this Batson. the 23rd episode? Uh, it, it, wow, what a coincidence. How did that happen? <laughs> I, it's, it's just a coincidence. It's not really a big deal. Uh, anyway, yeah. Parker, you watched this movie before. It's directed by Joel Schumacher, one of your favorite directors. <laughs> Friend of the show at this point. Yeah, at this point he might as well come on and explain things. Uh, <laughs> His catalog is very powerful. Come on oh. the podcast, coward. Well, much like uh, the statistics in the NFL, the numbers speak for themselves. So, <laughs> Do uh, they ever? But yeah. what I'm do saying, they mean? Mason. We go back to Gerard Butler month. We have Joel Schumacher on. We all watch Phantom of the Opera. We have a wonderful evening. <laughs> Who says no? <laughs> okay, uh, so obviously we all like the number 23. What a good movie. Parker, do we have any oh. news? <sighs> the thing that we've all dreaded. Gaze upon my works, ye mighty. For the Snyder Cut is real. Because there's no God. <laughs> In the year of our Lord, 2021, we will get Zack Snyder's vision, finally, for the Justice League. Oh, good. The movie all of our campaigns have worked. All of our tweets, all of our targeted online harassment that we do as a group. Gal Gadot sang that John Lennon song so she could get the Snyder Cut release. <laughs> is there is there a release date? Is it is it just 23rd, 23rd perhaps? <laughs> oh, oh, dude. Let me run some calculations. <laughs> it is Look, incredibly... Just... Oh, you go ahead. No, whenever you have a release date, just please DM it to me so I can pre-plan my illness for that week. Uh, you might as well just say, wow, the entire calendar filled up with nap. Uh, <laughs> buddy, I got news for you, my calendar. N plus A plus P. Oh my god, it's 20. Okay. Actually, it's 32. But Wait. The reverse 23? <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So here's my thing about the Snyder Cut. No one gives a shit. You say that, but it worked apparently. Three years of just every single time anyone from Warner Brothers tweeted anything, just a wall of psychopaths demanding the Snyder Cut. And also, well, you know, like a global crisis shutting down all movie production and HBO Max desperately needing content. Yeah, well, well they're already, they released their projections for, you know, what they're going to get. And the numbers are pretty impressive. If they hit their marks, I think like 23 million com uh, Oh my god, dude. viewers. That, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a big number. There's no significance to it, though. Could you imagine if they spent $30 million facing the CGI of this movie and then they just get, like, Quibi numbers? <laughs> Fucking own. Well, I mean, if we learned one thing, it's that the continued online bullying campaign does in fact work, so keep it up, Bernie people. Four more years. We got this. <laughs> this is how Bernie can still win. The fact that I love it for the years has been like, 
this thing's almost done. All they do is just pocket up a little bit of money and they can put his movie out. And then he just comes out and goes, yeah, no, it's all fucked. It's going to take like a year to get this out. Because spoilers, <laughs> if it was already ready, it would be out. Because HBO Max launches, let me check my calendar, tomorrow. So, uh, 23rd? <gasps> <laughs> like, clearly this movie doesn't exist. He didn't even finish fucking shooting the thing. But we're just going to get reshoots. <laughs> oh, don't worry. None of the cast can come back for reshoots. Only voiceovers. <laughs> what a just surprise. Just seeing a pitch that's like, yeah, well, it'll either be like a four-hour movie or like a miniseries. And I just like felt my body age in real time. Oh, best no sleep that Alex has ever got. You know what? You know what? You know the unfortunate thing is that this led to people saying, "Hey, how how come uh, we don't also have David uh, Goyer's version of Suicide Squad?" When I woke up, that was the first thing I read. I didn't realize it was a joke, and I thought I was dying. Alex, did you hear about this? David Goyer I said, did, "No, yeah. really, we we actually do have my cut. It'd be easy to release. I have it there. You know." <laughs> Big so. shouts out to Josh Trank when people are like, are you going to do this for Fantastic Four? He's like, yeah, fuck no. I don't want to talk about the movie. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Big shouts out to that guy. Yeah, at least we have one person who's honest here. Uh, do we have any other news? No, it's just... I'm obsessed with this because, like... What, 23? Talk... Yes. <laughs> people want to talk about, oh. like, so this is finally happening. This is his big vision. We're finally going to see it. That was ripped away from us all these years ago. But, like... Justice League was supposed to be two movies. So, like, are we just going to spend all this money and repurpose a bunch of CGI to make a cliffhanger? How fucking depressing is it that, like... Sorry, how how fucking depressing is it when, like, your big vision is Justice League? (laughs) Yes, the cumulative effect of all of my life has led up to this filmactic moment. Okay, Mr. Scorsese. (laughs) It's Justice League 1 and 2. It's like, all right, here's one. What do we do now? Oh, let's see. Well, Ben Affleck's gone. Henry Cavill's probably gone. Ezra Miller's probably like, half your cast is never coming back. So, I don't know. Just <laughs> computers, I guess. Like, <laughs> figure it out. Fuck if I know. Well, here's the Martian Manhunter. Suck a dick. Well, if we really do want to get down into the numbers, Mason, then uh, Which I do. I think what came out is that uh, I think it was 77% of the movie is completely new and original, which leaves only 23... Wait. Oh my <gasps> god. <laughs> what? Are we ever going to stop doing this? No. Not for this. For the okay, rest sure. of this show as it exists. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on to our jerks of the week. Um, do you guys want to go first? Oh, fuck. I can't believe you've done this. Sure, why not? Uh, Excuse me. So my jerk of the week is myself. Uh-uh, now, as you know, uh, Sunday night, I ordered myself one ninja headband off Amazon. <laughs> for a good <laughs> price, too. That's great price. 35 yeah. cents for a ninja headband. That's which, like by 53... The... <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> Sorry. By the way, all of like there were there were four reviews on this. Three of them were like, "Wow, these things were so awesome for my seven year old's ninja themed birthday party." And the fourth one was like, "Dude, you gotta wear this while you watch Godfrey Ho movies." And I was like, "All right, thank you, one guy on Amazon who gets I, me." I saw that. <laughs> May have been. But but the reason that I ordered this was to correct a previous wrong from earlier in the day. You see, my jerk of the week is myself because I decided to be cheap when I saw something that was one hundred percent worth buying. So, travel back, like, eight hours or so. I'm standing in line at the liquor store. 
like I'm, I'm waiting to check out. I look over. I see something above one of the registers. It's a uh, it's a wine bottle stopper that's shaped like a fucking little league participation trophy, <laughs> which in <laughs> oh and of itself God. hilarious. You simply have to have that. However, I looked closely at it because I see this. I'm like, well, I'm really thinking about this, despite the fact that I drink my wine by the bottle and have no right, need yeah, for it. Yeah, correct. And the only words on the entire package were who's on thirst. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not on my shelf right now. And I'm so upset about it. How, how much could it have possibly cost? It was like $8. Like, I should Alex. just go back and buy it. I know. I know. I know. I know. I, but that, this, again, this is why I'm the jerk of the week. Oh, geez. I'm just going to go and get it. <laughs> I, if there are extras, I'll pick one up for you. Who's on thirst? who's on thirst as I'm standing in the line in this extremely crowded liquor store like just trying to keep my distance and also not laugh at this stupid fucking wine stopper I hope to god I find that in the wild myself I think I would just grab like a handful and put it in Alright, all right, I'm going back tomorrow. Fine. fine. Thank you. I, I, Thank am you. A, I, I will no longer be I'll my just, jerk of the I'll week. I'll just Venmo you the $8. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Parker, do you have a jerk of the week or does it tie into something? Yeah, my jerk of the week is landlords. Not because of our good friend and his HOA situation, <laughs> but because of <laughs> the motherfuckers who dared to temporarily shut down the Garfield-themed restaurant in Toronto. <laughs> Luckily... <laughs> The rights have been wrong, and they are open for business. These goddamn snakes wanted three months payment from a Garfield-themed restaurant in the middle of COVID-19. I'm so glad you went deep on the Garfield Eats drama. He released a statement that says, Garfield Eats, world's first Garfield-themed restaurant known for Garfield-shaped pizzas, big lasagnas, and Garfuccino coffee in Toronto. It's turned into a nightmare for the beloved cat and the young founder, Nathan, who is also a social media influencer in entrepreneurship with over 115,000 followers, an advocate against homelessness, which seems <laughs> unnecessary. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Garfield has entertained the world for 41 years, and a heartless landlord has shown no form of appreciation for the beloved cartoon. He continues. <laughs> <laughs> He posted like a fucking manifesto and then everything got reversed. And then it closed with, the only weapon I have is the Garfield fans. When I speak, the whole world listens. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to that guy. He's my fucking hero. He would be my hero if not for the fact that his restaurant opened two weeks later than it was supposed to. And the weekend <laughs> it was supposed to open, I just happened to be in Toronto and was going to get one of the first Garfield-shaped pizzas. Oh, very so, unfair. So, I mean, he's still a 9 out of 10 in my book, but that was a rough beat. I don't well, know when I'm going back to Canada. You know, hey. now that we can't and all. But Garfield-themed face masks? Y'all. <laughs> We're going. <laughs> you just imagine having your Garfield mask on your face with your ninja headband. <laughs> oh my god. You would literally be unstoppable. You would achieve ultra instinct. <laughs> I, I just really want to contact my landlord and ask if we can get a landline phone just for the Garfield phone. <laughs> my favorite phone I think I've ever seen in my life. I can't oh. believe there's a there's a, a corded phone that I want more than the duck phone from Jersey Shore. But here we are. <laughs> right. Okay. So my jerk of the week is uh, I don't I don't know which one of these it is. Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel. I think it's Jimmy Fallon. Uh, I get, I don't know if you guys heard about this one. Mercifully, not somehow. Yeah, I got uh, nothing. 
Uh, 20 years ago, he did blackface. Oh, no, that was Jimmy Kimmel. He was yeah. Carl Malone on The this Man Show. This year being Carl Malone, my man. <laughs> I remember it. Wait. It was really uncomfortable. Whoa, whoa, it, it, whoa, was, whoa, whoa. it was real good. Actually, <laughs> no, actually, I think this one was Fallon. Because... Oh, uh, so they both did it. Okay. Yeah, everyone asked yeah. all those blackface. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I, I just looked it up. It was, in fact, Jesse Fallon blackface, and he issued an apology for it. And, Never uh, apologize, man. That was, that's mistake. why he is my jerk of the week. You don't apologize for this sort of thing. You say that you were honoring Chris Rock when you dressed up as him. <laughs> you Chris. know, in his routine, he says there's two types of... Okay, I guess I'm wrong. Chris, I, I can't help but notice that only one of the three of us is going to have an opportunity to vote for a governor who got caught blackfacing. Well, we don't know if he was blackfacing. He may have been wearing he, the other costume. He, he could have been the hood guy, you're right. Yeah. Also, to be fair, I haven't looked into it, but there's like an 80% chance anyone running for governor here. So, well, yeah, let's be fucking honest. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't know how much you know about uh, the Virginia governor, uh, Parker, but my favorite uh, thing about was when that picture came out, it's a picture of uh, two individuals, one in very, very blackface and the other in very, very Ku Klux Klan hood. Uh, and Governor Northam confirmed that he was one of the individuals in the photo, but he can't remember which one. A word? <laughs> so, so oh, was the, I Wayne or Garth that year? You know, it was so long ago. So he was able he was able to skate on this for two reasons. One, he's a Democrat, and two, it, it, it's one of those things where it's almost Trumpian in a way. He got people to they were sort of distracted by which is worse, dressing up in blackface or dressing up as the KKK. I uh, two things on this one I have a standing like like when this happened day of I made a bet with somebody I said if you'll give me odds I'll take hood guy and he said yeah done three to one and I no longer talk to this person or have any association with them but if we ever find out I'm absolutely collecting on my bet <laughs> as you should <laughs> I mean it still doesn't beat the all-time greatest excuse of all which was Justin Trudeau saying he really likes dress up I believe that though. He's he hard. That man loves to dress up. Yeah, He's a fancy is. lad who loves shoe polish. <laughs> he really, really, really likes cosplay. <laughs> Big Mr. Popo fan at Anime Con here in Toronto. Guys, oh, I, I want I want nothing more than to do a group Halloween costume as different Justin Trudeau ethnicity costumes where everyone says they're Justin Trudeau. Like, ah yes, it's me, Turban Justin Trudeau, and my friend native Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Actually, you calling me love guru makes you the racist. I'm He's very this passionate. is satire. <laughs> I'm making a statement. You're the bigot. <laughs> I'm making a statement. <laughs> Actually, I'm not in blackface. I'm Ted Danson in blackface. So, uh, why don't oh, you we'll... take that to the good place, motherfucker? We'll get to Ted Danson. Okay. We'll so, oh, no. We will. Oh, no. uh, so, let's talk about what we recently watched. I will begin. Um, Alex, I know you're not really into baby movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about the ones with geniuses? <laughs> <laughs> Except for those. Uh, I was wondering, what are your thoughts on Pixar? I mean, how can I be anti-Pixar? Do you really think I'm going to zag that hard on Pixar? It, uh, there, were, there were slight odds in this. I know you really right, didn't right. like Toy Story 3. Correct. And I'm ready to have that conversation anytime. Not, not on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not on this episode. Toy Story 23? <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Endless fucking four-hour episode. If you just, if you actually look at, like, the timeline, Toy Story 2 came out before Toy Story 3. Two, three, put them together, huh? 
Anyway. My favorite deputy, Rhymes with Three. So, oh I, uh, the reason I bring up Pixar is I watched Inside Out for the first time. And, oh, uh, buddy. <laughs> Guess who watched that in a depressive episode? This guy. Oh. oh Guess goodness. who hasn't watched it since? This guy. Okay, so I actually really liked uh, Inside Out. I thought it was very well done. And it's very good. Okay, so you think about a, uh, a couple of the movies that we've watched on here. I think we've done like at Excuse least three episodes like this where we're watching the movie and we think to ourselves, that was okay. And then we walk out and we're like, oh, God, that wait, that was awful. What am I? I was enjoying it the moment that I thought about it for three seconds and it sucked. It's kind of like that in reverse. I was having a good time with Inside Out, but I had like a couple criticism. Like, I don't know why they're doing this. I think this is kind of silly. Then I, I thought about it more. I was like, wait, everything is explained. This It all works kind of perfectly. It's, it's kind of great. Uh, if I had any criticisms... Uh, it's it's kind of tough. I don't usually like Amy Poehler, but the role is kind of perfect for her. Uh, it's great to hear Phyllis again. Uh, I guess I would have liked more Mindy Kaling, if anything. Uh, it's certainly the best. You thing. never. <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly the best thing Louis Black has ever done. Uh, Bill Hader was really really good. Uh, I really like the story. I I th- I thought it was really well thought out. I thought one of my favorite things about it, and it's kind of tough to like say anything positive about it that someone hasn't already said. But this is one that I. I don't know. I kind of appreciate it. I didn't see anyone else talk about it. I like the fact that there are so many long-term memories because I think that's something that a lot of movies, if they had made something like this, might have overlooked. There are so many memories that you think of that come back to you every once in a while. But of course, my favorite part of the whole movie was a triple dent gum commercial that keeps coming back up. <laughs> that I thought that was really, really funny. But also, some of the best parts of that movie are when you go into other people's heads. Like you really do get like the best jokes in the entire movie that way. So I'm, I'm really happy I saw that movie. Yeah. So here's the thing: there, there is one extreme fatal flaw with Inside Out. All right, let me hear. It's it. a kid. It's it's a kids movie that no kids can actually watch. Okay. I mean, they can watch it. Like, like there's nothing there if you're a kid. Well, I mean, it's a great kids movie for adults. But like, I, I mean, I don't. I'm not trying to go around saying I talk to a lot of kids. But like, what kid is gonna watch that movie and go, yes, ah, yes, I relate to this movie about feelings. So like, I'm, bro, I'm, I'm eight. Just give me candy. I thought about that one for a little bit, and I guess it depends how you define kid. Like, what age cut off? I think, like, I'm not saying it should have been PG-13. But that wouldn't have been a bad cutoff. Maybe PG-11 or something. Because once you... Like, I think a lot of kids wouldn't be able to put all that stuff together. Like, they have a throwaway joke about puberty. And eight-year-olds are not going to get that. And I understand, like, a lot of movies, these are more like family movies. You know, the adults are going to be like, oh, boy, puberty, that's going to be a real tough stuff thing there. But, like, a five-year-old definitely is not going to get that. Like, they're going to get... They might actually get the wrong message from it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I... It's... It's for I mean, an older audience without any older kids' jokes. And maybe it would have been better with, like, PG-13 jokes in there. But the last thing you want to see is, like, a sex joke in that movie. So Exactly. No, I completely yeah. agree. It's just that it's a Pixar movie. Like, teenagers aren't going to see this movie because they're going to think it's for little kids. And little kids are going to watch it and go, like, no, I want to watch the one with all the talking dogs. So, like, who is it for other than us? And if you're making a movie for us, then what are you doing, uh, Pixar? You know what I mean? No, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I do. I, I think, though, that maybe more uh, teenagers are going to watch it uh, than maybe we expect. Because uh, Pixar kind of has that universal sort of liking. Everyone likes this stuff. I think the only thing I don't like about Inside Out is 
Uh, how do I, how do I compare this? Okay, so it's kind of like minion pictures on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> Go on. It's it's not just minion pictures on Facebook, but you also see the stuff with like Looney Tunes pictures on Facebook, where you always get a bunch of boomers posting this stuff, and it's just like. Hey, if you didn't vote for Trump, you must be a special kind of stupid. He'll just be like Bugs Bunny holding a cigar and smiling widely. <laughs> they do that. Lewis Black going, Lord, forgive me. I'm about to go back to the old me. <laughs> yeah, they do that with like inside out characters. It'll be Joy, the happiest, happy go lucky character, saying, If you aren't smiling today, maybe you should go fuck yourself. And I'm like, Why, <laughs> why, why did you come up with this? <laughs> I, I'm, friend, I'm friends with too many boomers, is what I'm saying. So <laughs> Finally, Chris is found a reason that Facebook is bad. <laughs> All I know is I was watching that in a bad space and it got to the point where sadness was infecting the older memories and I realized like oh, I have to go to work in an hour. This is <laughs> unfortunate. That's that's one of the things where I kind of felt towards the end so like she gets off the bus and she this is one of the best parts of the movie is that she realizes that there is a reason to be sad and sometimes being sad helps us. And it's a really good thing and I'm happy that they did that. I kind of feel like fear should have played a really big role in this. And, like, fear is what would have got me off the bus. Like, jeez, I can't go back to Wisconsin all on my own. What if I... I'm on a bus all by myself. I'm an 11-year-old girl. Like, fear would have been, like, part of that. But I'm, I'm glad that they, they made it the way that they did. And uh, it's a good movie. I'm, I'm happy that I watched it. Um, so the next one, I only watched two movies. Uh, next one I watched was The Onion Field. Are you guys familiar with the book... Or movie in Cold Blood. Yeah, uh, Truman Capote, right? Oh, right, right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Onion Field is kind of a lot like that. Um, it's true crime. This all actually happened, and I got the book a long time ago when I was in high school. And uh, my parents were like, "Oh, you got to read it." And I read it. And I was like, "It's kind of, it's kind of messed up in a lot of parts here," uh, but it was a good book. It was well written. It's just it was very much written in a certain time frame where they could say certain things. Yeah, oh, like geez. what? Uh, certain <clears throat> things, and uh, police could arrest you for certain things. And uh, <laughs> well, glad we don't do that anymore. I mean, so much. Yeah, thank feeding. God we stopped with just the arrest. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> anyway, uh, but it it is a, a pretty decent narrative. The basic idea here is there are two cops, one played by Ted Danson, <laughs> and. Oh, fuck. Uh, which is, yeah, that's where the tie comes in. And uh, Two Petty Criminals. One played by James Woods. We'll get to in a little bit. Um, I wonder which one he is. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, anyway. James Woods and Ted Danson and a Truman Capote. Oh. No, not Truman Capote. It's Chris, James, buddy. <laughs> you so, okay, man? You been um, holding out? Spent some time with your dad this week? <laughs> so, anyway, the, the cops are patrolling around L.A. And the two petty criminals get stopped by them after sticking up a bunch of convenience stores. And uh, the... The criminals are able to kidnap them and take their guns. They drive them out to an onion field and they shoot Ted Danson. So Ted Danson's on the movie for very long and the other one gets away. The criminals get caught and they go through a whole court proceeding and stuff like that. And uh, there's twists and turns along the way. Uh, actually came about this movie, I had read the book, again, like I said, years and years ago, but I was going through James Wood's filmography. Now's a good time to talk about James Wood's personal hero. Uh, James <laughs> Wood. <laughs> Says what's on his mind. Which James, I respect. <laughs> James, uh, this is much like the director of Dragged Across Concrete. Park, you described as having some views. <laughs> yeah, you know, 
we all see the world in our own different special ways. I have to admit, I was like, James Woods, James Woods, where have I heard of him? Checked his Twitter feed. Oh, no. James, well, I love Hercules. Let me see. Oh, Jiminy yeah. Christmas. Uh, that's the thing. Uh, James Woods is very, very strong in the MAGA camp. He loves the Orange Man. And uh, it's, it's got so to the point where it's borderline delusional. So I was like, what happened to this guy to make him this way? I, I get curious about that. I like to try to get inside their mind. So I read a little bit of James Wood's biography. Turns out he was actually fairly brilliant and might still be. He had an extraordinarily high IQ, joined Mensa. I think he went to uh, MIT. Just like Joel. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Joel didn't, didn't go. Come on. Uh, oh, Mensa. Oh, there. Boy, that took me a second. Thank you. Oh, man. You're welcome. Uh, James Woods went to MIT and dropped out because he really wanted to be an actor. And apparently, I think he either got nominated for an Oscar or won an Oscar for Best Supporting at some point. I've only seen him in three movies, Onion Field, Videodrome, and Hercules. And I know I liked him in Videodrome and Hercules, and apparently this was his first role. Boy, he is, he's really good. He's a really good actor. Uh, the role that he has to play is Gregory Powell, a real-life person who, on the one hand, is this complete fucking dunce of a criminal like you look at him and like how did this guy not get cut well he got cut several times is the thing but uh how did he ever get let out of prison this guy is just a complete dunce just a complete rube and yet at the same time he is at certain parts of the movie fucking terrifying just the most vicious guy and there are a couple scenes that are just like chilling and partially it's because of the way that james woods plays him and uh, it's a fantastic role. He does a great job. All the, all the lead roles in this are, are really good. Uh, Frank Seals plays his accomplice, and he does a great job. I don't remember who plays the other cop, Carl Hedinger. Uh, but I know that uh, Pierce Woods, I believe, is the uh, investigating detective. And he's played by Ronnie Cox. And I just want to say to all our listeners, if you guys have Ronnie Cox, make sure you see a dermatologist. So, oh, Oops. there's also, <laughs> and there's also a guest appearance by Christopher Lloyd, which uh, I did not see coming. Um, it's a good movie. I would say that the book In Cold Blood is better than the movie In Cold Blood, but the movie version of The Onion Field is even better than the book version. I think one of the reasons that the movie version of The Onion Field succeeds is because the screenplay was written by the author, and he had had one of his earlier works uh, adapted into film, and it was just awful. He was like, no, no, no. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it my way. It has to all go according to this. It's a really good screenplay, so I would actually highly recommend The Onion Field. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on James Woods? Uh, personal friend, hero is the word I throw around. <laughs> I'm sorry, I might have, but I just realized that the thing that came off the top of my beer bottle, like the little piece that was holding the the top on, is is shaped exactly like the it is a mystery ghost. So now I just am <laughs> laughing at that. <laughs> Every time I see James Wood in a movie, I'm like, man, this guy's really good. This sucks because <laughs> he's really fucking good. Yeah, I mean everything. that's I mean that's the thing. It's like we've got a lot of actors who are complete nuts, and then. They end up being really great actors. Tom Cruise is a nut. He's one of the best actors of our generation. You leave Tom Cruise alone. I will not. And uh, Mel Gibson. Tom Cruise did chapter. not shoot lightning at anybody. He's innocent. He did nothing wrong. Mel Gibson, though, that guy can fuck himself. No, up. Mel Gibson is a really good actor. I'm like, who gives a fuck what Randy Quaid says? Like, yeah, go ahead. Make your weird periscopes. It's like, oh, James Woods. You even came back for like, the Hercules TV show. Like, you didn't have to do that. You seem like well, a cool guy. 
that's his I believe he said it's his all time favorite role so he comes back and works for real cheap in like all the Kingdom Hearts games all the like the the Disney knockoff games for like Game Boy he'll come back and like do Hercules he'll do Hades voice because he does he really shit for the fucking role. like straight to Disney Channel spinoff cartoons that have right yeah someone who sort of sounds like Danny DeVito sometimes that's and the thing it's like so the way they did that voice originally for Hades is uh, every comes in is like okay you're gonna play a Disney villain go and everyone does the dark lord of the dead voice and he comes in and just does james woods and it's so different and it's funny it's it's kind of the same way that they did gaston in beauty and the beast is everyone wants to be this evil hunter guy and he just it is like pure french chad and uh it's it's far more distinctive that way and it's it's better it's funnier and hades in that movie is one of the best parts if not the best part of the movie so uh Overall, I'd like to say that this podcast uniformly came out in favor of James Woods. Alex, what did you watch? Good outweighs the bad. It's numbers, Mason. <laughs> I always... Uh, the, the, the most disparaging thing I can say about James Woods is not any of the things you just said. It's that I always confuse him with John Voight, a.k.a. Moriarty. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real 1A, 1B. Yeah, I mean, some of the reasons for that confusion are justified. One of them is a real actor, and the other one's been in all of the direct-to-DVD Baby Geniuses sequels, as Chris will tell you. <laughs> well, almost all of them. I think he, I think he wasn't in one of them. I'll have to take your word for it, buddy. You're the fan. <laughs> all right, so uh, I feel like there have been at least half a dozen instances on this podcast where Parker and I have been talking about a movie and gone... You know what? I really need to watch more Brian De Palma movies. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, yeah. And, like, I'm looking down the list, and, like, there's a lot of, like, really highly regarded movies that I've never seen that he's done. Like, I've never seen Phantom of the Paradise. I've somehow oh, never oh, seen Dress to Kill. Like, I... Oh, buddy. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna dive in deep. I'm gonna watch a lot of these De Palma movies that I haven't seen. And then, <laughs> and then I made some choices. <laughs> So let me tell you about Brian De Palma's most recent movie, a movie called Domino. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait. All right. So, I think I've heard of this. <laughs> yeah. So this came out last year. Oh. And it stars uh, it stars Jamie Lannister as some Dutch cop, <laughs> who's uh, him and his partner are you know they're like they're certainly not crack cops by any by any stretch of the imagination. They go to investigate this crime that happens in the middle of the night, but oh, fucking cop Jamie Lannister leaves his gun at home as the camera does a close-up on it as he's leaving. Surely that won't be important. And, uh, long story short, his partner gets killed. There's a terrorist plot. There's a whole lot of, you know, all this and that. They gotta chase him around. There's a there's a sleazy CIA agent in this movie played by Guy Pierce for some reason. Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> Which is a nice touch. Now, what I've heard about this movie from, you know, all nobody that's fucking seen it is, like, this movie's a mixed bag. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of bad. But, like, you'll all like you'll remember this movie forever if you watch it and i'm like all right throw something at me movie let's see what you got and like much like a lot of de palma's movies like the score is like all orchestral and like all very old-timey and interesting and it creates a certain feel for a movie that you you know don't get when you're just like watching and like a stain song comes on you know um (laughs) and like the best thing i can say about this movie because there are a lot of good things like there's some masterful camera work in this. There's some, oh, fuck, you're a genius. That's how you can up with that shot shit that he does. That, like, I just... You see it in his movies almost more than anybody else's, and I really respect it. But, like, this movie 
for lack of a better way to describe it, is, like, one of the most tactile movies I've ever watched. Like, everything in this movie looks like something you could just reach out and feel. Like, it's it takes place in Denmark. The opening, like, chase scene, if you want to call it that, is, like, along rooftops, but they're, like, these rooftops with these, like, clay shingles on them. And you can, like, hear the shingles clinking as they're running across them. And, like, you know, somebody will kick one loose and it'll fall down. And it'll make, like, just these these weird loud clay noises that you're not used to hearing in movies. And, like, he falls down into, like, uh, uh, a fucking tomato stand in the street. And, like, you look around and the way it's shot, it's like, God, I could just reach out and, like, squeeze those tomatoes right now. He's, like, so brilliant at making movies in that way. But also, like, this movie's fucking boring and everything that happens is, like, some weird consequence of, like, things that are completely unrelated. Like, okay, so Jamie Lannister's partner dies at the beginning, right? And then the person he's investigating with just, like, coincidentally happens to also be the dead guy's mistress. And it's re- it's revealed in the clunkiest fucking way possible. Because they find out the guy died, right? It's like he's their cop colleague or whatever. And the lady's like, we loved each other so much, blah, 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 blah. And Jamie Lynch is like, yeah, but not really, right? And then she gets <laughs> mad and, like, she's like, so you're such a fucking asshole. And throws her phone at him and he's, like, scrolling through the pictures of them dating. And then he gets, like, the eighth picture and it's just an ultrasound picture. And it's like, all right, it's one of these fucking clunky-ass stupid fucking movies, right? Sounds and good. And it's like, yeah, so, like, it's weird because, like, I'm torn the whole time. It's like, real director trying to make a real movie. There are parts that I like. There are parts that are fucking boring because it's, like, a cop movie where there's not really action scenes. It's just, like, a lot of following people in cars and, like, uh, hope we solve this mystery. So, like, I flip my opinion on this movie, like, 20 times as it's going on, right? And then the climax happens. And I need to tell you about this climax because (laughs) the noise that came out of me when this happened was unbelievable. So, you know, we've got this, like, aging auteur director, right? You know, he's trying to make his mark on film. He's trying to just do these big, grandiose things all the fucking time. The climax of this movie takes place in Spain at a bullfighting ring where there's about to be a terrorist attack and it's up to Jamie Lannister and his partner to stop them. And there is, I shit you not, a five-minute scene with no dialogue, only orchestral music while they chase the criminals, like, through this fucking stadium and they're, like, trying to find out where they're at and, like, they're looking for the terrorist mastermind and this and that. And there's, like, liberal, like, heroism slow-mo scenes, like that would make Zack Snyder jealous of, like, people peeking around corners to, like, try to get a look at the bad guy and shit like this. Again, like, literally zero dialogue. You're relying on nothing but scores. This whole scene plays out. Sounds exciting. How did... And how does it end? How does this big artistic, oh, fuck, I hope we get him set piece end? With the lady that played Melisandre in Game of Thrones kicking the terrorist in the balls. Simultaneous... With Jamie Lannister shooting the terrorist mastermind who is controlling a drone, forcing him to push forward on the drone stick and decapitate the terrorists. <laughs> it is the most baffling, unearned fucking scene I have maybe ever seen in a movie. It is. If I could fuck, like, I could not recreate the noise that came out of me. When, like, this whole fucking, like, oh, fuck, I wonder what's going on, what's going on. Like, like this whole fucking movie is building to this scene where a dude just gets railed in the nuts and then decapitated within three seconds. Like, I just imagine De Palma calls cut and just looks in the mirror and goes, still got it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> fucking did it. It is, like, you don't need to watch this movie. But also, you kind of need to yeah, watch this movie. It's like, not up for discussion. I'm watching this movie. <laughs> like, it's just... 
it made me feel the same way that the wall made me feel. <laughs> but like, God I I enjoyed the road getting there a lot more than, than the fucking wall of just kick ass talking to some terrorist on a walkie talkie for ninety minutes before that reveal. Alex, keep your voice like, down. My dad might be listening. <laughs> well, you'll have something to watch next time that doesn't have that many racists in it. Oh, good. <laughs> Only because it's small cast. <laughs> well, goddamn Iraqis. Cool. Actually, Only an every, hour 45 more. Everyone in that movie is British. Don't tell me there's fewer racists. Well, there is there is one extremely Texan character, and he is, of course, voiced by Guy Pierce. So, good luck. You really buried the lead with that one, but <laughs> What the fuck? I mean, I told you he was there. I told you he was a CIA agent in Denmark. But yeah, his accent is... And, and, like, it's it's funny because, like, normally when you watch a movie that takes place in, like, some European country, right, you're expecting to hear a bunch of, like, shitty accents. Nobody in this movie attempts it, and I'm so thankful for it because, you know, like, I don't want to hear Jamie Lannister's Danish accent. Like, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? And, like, I was so relieved. It's like, oh, cool, this director understands. He's putting us in good hands. And then <laughs> that fucking ending happens. It, it was, boy, it was something. You know what? Like, whoever said to me, like, yeah, this movie's not great, but you're never going to forget it, they were right. <laughs> they were 100% right. And, you know, then I could have decided to watch one of Brian De Palma's many, many well-regarded movies. But instead, I decided to watch Mission to Mars. God. Which you is... told me that, and I already forgot he made that. Are there ghosts up there? For the record, not the one with Val Kilmer. Oh, this is the one where your main characters are Tim Robbins and the guy who played Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> Garrison Hayes. <laughs> so, set this movie up. It starts off with like a backyard barbecue. All these people are like, ah, oh, yeah, we gotta go back to space, man. I'm gonna miss you guys. All this, this and that. Literally ten minutes later, we're on Mars and there's a giant smoke monster and it's killing people. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Correct. So, so we're with. How uh, did I not know this? We're with we're with Don Cheadle and his crew. They're on Mars. What? They shoot some radio waves at what I can only describe as an artist's rendition of the face on Mars, <laughs> and then a giant fucking tornado comes out of it and rips a guy apart piece by piece. What the fuck? So we're ten minutes in. We know there's some sort of weird alien hijinks going on on Mars. And now we're back to, like, an hour of spaceship melodrama. Oh. So, like, you know, like, I know this thing is there. I know we're getting to it. Like, all these guys are like, oh, we gotta do this rescue mission. You know, we're on the ISS or whatever ISS equivalent this is. Like, they gotta convince their old German commander. Like, come on, let us go help these guys. Come on. And so they go, and we have this huge, long, you know... You know, you've, you've seen a space movie before. The second act space movie scene where something goes wrong on the ship and they all have to work together to fix it. We get that, but for whatever reason, De Palma's having the entire cast play the thing understated, so it's almost like they're community theater leaders, like, like actors, like, reading lines to each other. And I'm sure it's a choice for some reason, but I've been thinking for, like, days, and I can't figure out what the fucking choice is. But it's like, there's a hole in the ship. It's depressurizing. We have to fix it. And everyone's just talking to each other in the voice that I'm talking to you guys now. Like, it is so fucking weird and bizarre, especially backdrop with the fact that we know there's a giant alien tornado on Mars and we're doing all this spaceship shit. Like, it is fucking baffling. 
And then we get to the third act. So they land on Mars. They realize, hey, Don Cheadle survived all this shit. He's been living in the greenhouse of the ship. He might be a little crazy now, but he's convinced that there's some secret code coming out of the face on Mars. So they find out the code is actually the human DNA, and if you reprogram the sounds it makes and spit it back to it, it lets you in. And you go in, and there's, like, this fucking ten-minute, like, most 2001 knockoff scene you'll ever see in your life. Where, like, we find out, actually, the Martians were the first life in our solar system. But then their planet got hit by an asteroid, and then they scattered everywhere. But they sent their last ship to Earth, and they built this face on Earth. So someday the humans could go back and find it. Like, picture, picture, you know the scene at the end of 2001 except every 30 seconds Don Cheadle interjects to tell you what's happening <laughs> and it was meant to be seen that's awesome you can, you can just feel De Palma sit in his director chair jacking off like, oh, I'm fucking better than Kubrick Nobody, everybody's gonna know it after this movie comes out like I'm a fucking genius I understand the cosmos and this and that and it's like Don Cheadle talking to a 2000 CGI alien. Like, it's <laughs> the dumbest fucking thing in the world. This movie sucks so much. <laughs> it is... This movie has its head so far up its fucking ass. And, like, it's funny, because there are, like, three or four scenes in this movie where it's like, ah, yes, there's Brian De Palma, noted horror director, doing cool things with a camera. And then the rest is just, oh my god god the martians are us <laughs> it's it is harrowing it is taxing and for a movie that shows you a giant tornado monster on mars at like minute eight boy what a letdown you really I had, had me in the beginning there i was i in. had such high hopes for this movie although there are a couple things like i said there is a dude who is ripped to shreds in incredible fashion by the fucking space tornado and also there's a scene where a dude in space who has become detached from his astronaut buds just ices himself so his wife won't chase after him by taking off his helmet and turning into fucking jello like Norris, i'm youtubing that got it <laughs> it's pretty good and my de palma journey will continue this week parker what do you got for us oh buddy so uh you know we're all big fans of numbers as you know seen by this week's movie but there's another movie that we've done previously that had a crucial plot point about numbers, which was, of course, End of Days, where we realized <laughs> that in dreams, sometimes numbers are reversed. And that 666 is actually 999, as in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out that movie's still really fucking good. Yeah. I can't believe you rewatched it. <laughs> I watched number 23 and End of Days back-to-back today. That was my day off. As you should. Incredibly good. <laughs> like I just watched it today I've already forgotten most of it again besides the <laughs> hits that are 1999 Bobby Chicago <laughs> I forgot that the movie uh, opens with someone just cutting open a snake and putting its blood in a baby's mouth that was pretty cool oh yeah that's a good point yeah I mean the whole the whole premise of the movie is Arnold Schwarzenegger has run out of bad guys to kill on earth so he def- he decides to fight the devil I forgot that the name of the movie is him being thrown around the church by a devil while just making Arnold sounds it's really fucking funny. Ah, just oh. going, ah, as like the literal <laughs> devil is throwing him into a pew is incredibly good. Forgot our biggest complaint is that movie is somehow two hours long, which should have been legal. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, fucking around in that movie. It sure is. But yeah, still incredibly good. Another rewatch. 
first time I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood since theaters, every single Leo DiCaprio line from the third act should win an Oscar separately. That entire end of the movie where he is just absolutely rip shit on margaritas and yelling at hippies. Is every line's better than the last one? It's so fucking funny. Like I don't think Tarantino gets enough credit for being really funny because that yeah. entire end of that movie, like his everything's done. The whole movie's over. We know what happened to the hippies. He's like calmed down. You know, he's talked to the cops. He's like, "Hey, man, so uh, you all right? Yeah, those fucking hippies are. That's for goddamn sure." It's <laughs> such a fucking funny delivery. I'm gonna be thinking about it all day long. Yeah, it turns out uh, that movie's pretty good. Like, yeah. not a super hot take. I really dig it. Even knowing, like, okay, I know a bunch of these scenes are going to be really slow. Still kept my attention. Wasn't reaching for my phone. Knowing it's three hours and knowing, like, I can pretty much tune out of most Margot Robbie scenes. Still, great movie. A lot of feet. Kept yeah, just leaning yeah. on my girlfriend and pointing going, Did you know he likes feet? <laughs> and she thought I was like, ah, oh, very funny, right until those little tootsies went up against the dashboard. She was like, all right, what the fuck? <laughs> Such a good you know, there are at least 23 scenes of feet in that movie. What? Get the fuck out of here. It's five toes and a foot. Five divided by three is two. It all adds up to 23. Oh, my oh, God. Don't be ridiculous. Five toes on the feet, okay? Two feet, mm-hmm. two times five, that's ten. Parker, say you next week. I'm working this one out. Yeah, if you want me to do math, you've come to the wrong fucking place. Hang on. Two legs. It's 12. I'm watching you finish this. No, I don't have anything. Keep going. So, you watch some De Palma movies. I, too. Two hands. Have worked. Nope. Have moved on to a director's <laughs> journey. Which is why I sat down with my friend George Miller and back to back watched his final two movies, which are, of course, Fury Road and Happy Feet 2. Very similar, very similar. A kind real of like a roller coaster of an evening. <laughs> kind of like bookends, you know. You can't have a sandwich without them. Happy feet too, or as I call it, happier feet. <laughs> so the B plot of Happy Feet Two is there's two krill voiced by Matt Damon and Brad Pitt, and one of which just has an existential crisis about his place in the food chain and the world at large, and then the other plot has Robin Williams. Again, as a really racist Latin penguin. <laughs> it's a lot to juggle around. Because in this movie, he has his sights set on the Sofia Vergara penguin. And it's just Robin Williams being told, Hey man, that first one made a lot of money. Do your thing. <laughs> Boy. When you hear Robin Williams' voice and someone goes, refers to him as Ramon, it's a real knuckles digging in like, Oh fuck, what's going to happen now? I know what this man's capable of. And it he didn't out, rap, did he? It's funny you should mention that. Because as I mentioned in Happy Feet 1, he plays not one, but two penguins. Both Uh-oh. penguins return in this film, Chris. And at the end of it, the other penguin receives a Rasta hat. And wouldn't you know it? Oh, no. Robin Williams just tees up an impression. It is... That movie ending with Robin Williams talking like a Rastafarian penguin and then going straight to Fury Road has gave me such a powerful whiplash. I don't Are you know sure how that was Robin Williams and not Jimmy Fallon? I've never been more sure of anything in my life. That man has a voice that does accents that you will never Because like I said, when I was watching the first one, I'm like sort of paying attention. Like, yeah, it's 
it's a big budget kids movie, so there's always a bunch of like, oh, that's Elijah Wood, that's that. And I'm hearing this Mexican voice, and I'm like, surely. <laughs> <laughs> I saw his name in the credits, but he was playing that. Surely they would not give him dual billing just so he can, oh, okay. Well, all right then. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'll say it turns out Furio is pretty good. That's my hot take. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's get back to Happy Feet. Which one's better, Happy Feet One or Two? I mean, in Two, I guess, because Happy Feet One, the CGI is upsetting at times. I don't like looking at it. Don't think I'll be. Hey, guess who didn't realize that one was like a jukebox musical? It was this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so shot me watching that one again. I have to admit, I didn't know that either. Uh, Parker, follow up question: How much of the turnips on your island? Oh, buddy, dude, I'm gonna give you. The... <laughs> Instead of Jerk Luke, my hero of the week is the guy that gets into arguments with people online, and then when it starts losing, just says, "Turn ups are eight fifty my island." DM this guy for details, and then the guy just gets to lift the fuck up. <laughs> Shut up, my king. It's one of the funniest things I've it's ever seen. Such a power move. <laughs> cool throne. That's, that's real good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That gets results too. It really did. The screen <laughs> cap said it all. His inbox I, was in shambles. If I may interject for for a second, there's something Absolutely. I need to remind you, or I need to. I was reminded of that I need to say about Mission to Mars. Oh my god! So like, okay. you remember how in Domino, I said like the whole score is like orchestral and just real De Palma jacking himself off, trying to be like old Hollywood. Well, the score in Mission to Mars is also all orchestral and also one Van Halen song. <laughs> Okay. Which Van Halen song is Okay, it? y'all bite. Just, just, just I already me. forgot. Damn it. No, no. God, oh, it's Sammy Hagar Van Halen. Fucking, look it back in. Okay. God, like, something, about, something about dancing. I don't, I don't, dude, they're all dancing the Dancing in the streets, that could be one. Mission to... I don't think there were streets, but like... <laughs> boy, was that jarring. <laughs> <laughs> Parker, you may continue. <laughs> Just Just a second. The, the the score was actually done by Ennio Morricone. I didn't know that. I, I don't know who that is. He's a guy. He's a really when famous Italian composer. He did the he did the uh, he did the score to uh, Hateful Eight and the Thing and the Dollars Trilogy. Wow, he's one of the most famous composers. I guess he time. also has B work. <laughs> yeah, I probably he's done a lot of film scores. Hang on, buckwheats. I think. Oh, Dance the Night Away. I, there's something about dancing. I wasn't wrong. Oh, yeah. dude. These penguins dance. They should have been in this movie. <laughs> yeah, you want to trade? No. We'll send, you, we'll send you Don Cheadle for like two or three penguins. Okay. Oh, that, that, I mean, that song is so... You can have the Hank has been in like puffin. 23 different movies. <laughs> Robert Williams sings a lot of songs in this movie, you guys. I, I don't know if I recommend it or not. That's my verdict. Robert Williams sings multiple songs. And I also does multiple will. accents. Basically, what it means is this movie is not for Alex, but very much for me. Correct, correct. <laughs> Looking forward to your take on it tomorrow. I should have did a really uh, respectful job to the culture. <laughs> uh, it's just funny. That's what the big deal is. Uh, did you watch anything else? Yeah, a couple more here. So, the whole thing with the number 23 came up because I saw it, and I thought on a whim, like, this could be some good fodder. And uh, I feel like I was right. So, as I'm scrolling through Prime earlier this week, I come across a thriller called Vacancy starring one Luke Wilson oh, fuck. and Kate Beckinsdale. And I'm like, dude, 
This is it. A fucking Hitchcock ripoff starring Luke Wilson and the girl from Underworld. Alright, let's hear it. It's actually kind of good. Like, okay. like, it's a solid, like, three, three and a half stars. Like, it's not great, but, like, it is solid. It's, like, 80 minutes. It's well directed. Like, I was... I was almost mad for him. I was like, what the fuck? I was expecting garbage. And I realized, like, oh, I'm just watching a movie that I like. Like, there's a scene... <laughs> it's, it's okay to enjoy things. Uh, no. Like, there's a scene early on. So, they obviously, they stop at this shit-ass motel. Car's broken down. There's no one around. It's late at night. Yada, yada, yada. I can't get word till morning. He, you know how it goes. And they start... People just start knocking on the fucking door. They're just banging, banging, banging loud. Luke Wilson's like, all right, this is horse shit. He goes down to the lobby like, I mean, you're the only one here. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Goes back. Him and Kate Bagsdale are not enjoying each other's company so much. So he's like, all right, fuck this. I'm going to go watch the TV instead of laying in bed with Kate Beckinsale, as one does. And there's there's a VCR plugged in. There's a couple tapes on the top. He pops in a tape and appears to be a snuff film. Just people, two or three dudes in mass in a room, just murdering the shit out of a couple people. He's like, well, that's kind of fucked up. Let me take this yeah, one out. Yeah, that's not his cello recital. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking I was stupid dog. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he puts in another tape. He's like, huh. More people being murdered in the same room. Well, that lamp looks familiar. That bed sure looks familiar. And then all the power goes out. And they start knocking on the door again. And then the power goes on. And then it goes off again. And they start knocking again. And it's flickering on and off, on and off, to the point where it's just like a non-stop flickering and non-stop banging at the door. And then one of the times the light goes on and there's just someone in the room wearing a mask. And I was like, oh fuck, this is like an actual movie. And I was in. So uh, that was a very pleasant surprise for me. Because I was not expecting to point at the screen and go, who the fuck is that? In a movie where Luke Wilson just does a shitty version of Psycho. So you know, sometimes good things happen. And then sometimes... <laughs> so here's a double feature for you. A couple years ago, a horror movie came out called The Boy. It's fine. I'm going to spoil it, though. So the whole thing... If you have any interest, don't listen, because I'm going to spoil the whole fucking thing. It's like a haunted doll movie. This woman goes to babysit at a house for this super, super old couple. They live in a creepy-ass-looking house. They're like, hey, cool, here's our kid. Just kidding, it's a fucking doll. And it's this super creepy looking doll, and she, there's all these rules you have to follow. And it's a pretty standard fucking like, haunted doll movie. You know, things are moving where they shouldn't be, things are getting misplaced, she's hearing noises. And then you get to the end and find out, oh no, no, the doll's not haunted. That kid, that they keep calling it Brahms, that's his name. No, that's the name of their son who's been living in the walls this whole fucking time. Which is like, <laughs> not great, but it was a real like, okay movie, I was sure as shit wasn't expecting that. I thought it was getting like a third rate Annabelle, because it got dumped into theaters in like January. It's like, alright, whatever, this is free. Know how much you like the Annabelle oh, series. Oh man, so much. I'm like, this is pretty solid. Like, I legitimately did not expect secret man in the walls in at the one hour mark. So you know what? Good on you, movie. February this year. Brahms, The Boy 2 comes out. What the fuck? <laughs> Here's the thing. It's just a haunted doll now. <laughs> what? Wait. Now the doll is actually haunted. It is actually has powers. It can move on its own. And also the main character is Katie Holmes. You hate uh, to see it. This is... I, this is like the Highlander 2 of sequels. 
There are. This is very trolls too here. In the first thirty minutes, there are four dream sequence fake out jump scares. Oh, my favorite cut. That is the level of horror we work with. Same director, same writer. Also the same writer as the most stay tuned of all stay tuned movies possible, Stay Alive, where if you could die in the game, you die for real. How have we not done it? October's around the corner, buddy. It's coming. Right, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I can wait that long. <laughs> I mean, it's either that or Fantasy Island next week. I will not argue against either. So this whole movie, it just turned, like, what was, like, a... Look, I'm not saying The Boy is a fucking masterpiece, but, like, it was a fun little, like, oh, my God, I didn't expect that twist. And then this is just cool. So she sees the doll, but no, no one else sees it, and then no one believes her, and they think she's crazy. It's that movie. You seen that movie? Yeah, you fucking have. And then we just keep going through all the same fucking stock things you've ever seen in any haunting, possession, fucking fill-in-the-blanks, any movie that's come out since The Conjuring made a gorillion dollars. And then we get to the end where we find out that there's a history going back hundreds of years and that that doll has been at that house for literally centuries haunting people and driving them mad. They overpower the doll. Someone smashes its head with a croquet mallet and there's a spooky little demon head underneath the doll head. <laughs> I was... I might have to watch this just for the spooky demon head. almost in tears. This movie ends... With this spooky little fucking demon head on a doll using his mind powers to murder the father from the witch into a giant furnace. <laughs> it sucks so bad. The most scathing review I've seen in a long time is by one Jacob Knight that says, This feels like a fake movie in the cabin in the woods. And that's the meanest thing I can think of to say because it's a thousand percent. This should be right next to those little Japanese schoolgirls like turning the monster into a frog. It's it sucks so bad. Okay, so can we get back to the boy? In the first movie, uh-huh. it doesn't end with like a shot of the doll and then its head suddenly turns to to like no, the camera or something like it's that. It's just it is literally just the doodles in the wall sort of somehow still alive. Just like All right, I guess I'll put them back together. The house burned down. Maybe maybe the doll in the sequel. Maybe they say that the doll haunted the boy, which made him live in the walls. Hundreds of years, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty three hundred years. Twenty three millennia. <laughs> Think of the franchising opportunities. Yeah, I bet he was. <laughs> <laughs> like just to take, like I said, like if, I wouldn't recommend the boy to anyone because I could easily see him and be like, "This is fucking stupid." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know, but I, my brain sucks." But it's fine. And then just to go like, actually, no, it was the haunted doll the whole time, and he's a little bitty devil underneath. And he's making the kid do bad things. <laughs> It's like every scene's predictable. Like the kids carrying the doll around because you know there's an evil spirit in the doll and it's making the kid do bad things. And these other kids show up, and I turn to her. I'm like, I bet you anything that this kid calls him a gay wad or something, and then the doll hurts him. I was eighty percent right. He doesn't call him a gay wad, but he keeps calling him mental. And then the doll makes him impale himself, which is actually really funny. <laughs> the kid fucking impales himself on a broken croquet mallet. But was the but yeah, kid dressed like a greaser? Look, I didn't say it was a good movie. <laughs> That's fair. <They're> pudding. <laughs> well, yeah, those are the 23 movies I watched this week. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the number 24. What so the fuck? Th- no. Oh, 
Oh, wait. Oh, my sorry. God. Kiefer Sutherland it. using numerology to defeat Al-Qaeda. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, Alex, Alex, do me a favor. Look at your phone. It's, it's in the other room, buddy. Can, uh, should I go get it? You, no, no. If you want, look at your uh, computer clock in the lower right-hand corner. You'll see it's <gasps> 2 30 shit. <laughs> I'm like, and Jack, it's, 2 divided right by 3 there. is 666, and also your daughter's been kidnapped again. <laughs> Oh man! So this this movie was directed by Joel Schumacher, friend of the show. He directed Batman and Robin, noted movie that we like. Which uh, uh, also has some instances of the number twenty three. If IMDb is to believed. <laughs> yep, the IMDb does. trivia for the number twenty three is incredible. <laughs> uh, it's it stars Jim Carrey, uh, the actor, sort of. And uh, it was. It also has Virginia Madsen. Uh, nothing interesting to say about her. And uh, notably, it was written by someone calling himself Fernley Phillips. Uh, I I don't know if he has like kind of witness protection ass name in that. <laughs> yeah, my name <laughs> Fernley. It, it sounds like the way that the guy says Cyril Figgis. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> oh, it also has Logan Lerman from every movie ever made. So, uh, you know how uh, in a lot of these movies, uh, they kind of have an unrelatable protagonist. You'll have like some really great advertising gig or something like that. He gets paid like six figures a year, lives in a really nice New York apartment or something like that. You're like, oh, how am I supposed to relate to this guy? Jim Carrey's a dog catcher. Uh, <laughs> you can take your architect job and fucking shove it. Oh, I go to wait. cemeteries and I dome shot these canines. So here's the thing is, we have a habit on this show. I'm not saying it's a bad habit, but it's a habit nonetheless of, if it's a really well-known actor, then we typically refer to both the character and the actor by the actor's name. We'll say Jim Carrey does this and Jim Carrey does that. Really, it's a character. And it's just for convenience's sake, it's just easier to say Jim Carrey, as everyone knows who Jim Carrey is. It's funnier to imagine Jim Carrey says or does this. But his character name in this is Walter Sparrow. <laughs> and I kind of want to refer to him by that first and last. because uh, <laughs> The whole thing every time? Yeah, just... Deal. Then Jim Carrey... Walter Sparrow. <laughs> it's Walter uh, Sparrow's birthday, and he's looking sad. Yeah, Walter Sparrow's in a uh, uh, fucking. We could flip back and forth. Uh, <laughs> All I want to say real quick is like the opening credits alone is just oh, right, nothing yeah. but tw- the number twenty three. Like it's like oh, <laughs> the associate line producer Caesar was stabbed twenty three times. So I'm like oh fuck you, dude. <laughs> oh, I couldn't have picked a better movie. Like, that's the thing, it's like, you can tell that all these references were ones they couldn't figure out a way to, like, work them into the movie. <laughs> these were all on the whiteboard when they had Final Cut. Like, well, shit. They were just like, 9 how can we not fit this in? <laughs> Damn it, Poe, okay, put in the opening credit thing. Oh, <laughs> well, I know, like, the very first scene when this starts, like I said, I just watched Once Upon a Time, I felt just like Leo pointing at the TV when it opens on <laughs> February 3rd. I'm just reaching, I'm like, oh shit, look! It's the 23th. It's happening. <laughs> Man, you stole my joke. I was about to be like, so this takes place on February 3rd. Wait. Hold up. What the? There's February's no the way. second month of the year. What? Two. No. The third. Oh my god. T. Time to leave. 
I was hoping it took place in 2001 so you could say divided by one is still 23. Oh my god. Uh, so I actually want to talk about those opening credits too because like I had just woken up like I've had a really fitful sleep uh, today. I, I had that meeting like I talked about. I had trivia so I've had like an hour of sleep here an hour of sleep there. So I just woke up okay fucking last chance put it on. Okay what are we doing? And the opening credit music is actually pretty good. So, like, I'm still groggy out. I'm still like, ah, oh, it's just the opening credits. What's, what what could possibly be going on now? I saw it's, like, flickering. Like, oh, is the audio video codec fucked up? I put on my glasses. I see all that. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so many things. It's the entire Wikipedia article. Right. Okay. So, oh, I can't even believe this. So, he gets called out to, uh, to go kidnap. I mean, uh pick up a dog at a Chinese restaurant. I have to admit, this kind of made me laugh. He's going through the Chinese restaurant. The guy's just speaking to him in Cantonese. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Sounds delicious. Can I get it to go? Uh, that, I have to admit, that made me laugh. That was, that was pretty funny. It's definitely goes, a uh, thing. It's like, oh, get this dog. We're at this Chinese restaurant. It's like, Mr. Schumacher, what are, you, what are we doing here? <laughs> oh, oh shit a shitter, buddy. I know what's yeah. happening here. There is certainly that, but I, I think I liked it a little bit more for like a different reason. Is that remember all the advertising for this movie is like this is a dark twisted movie it's just jim carrey doing jim carrey comedy like he might as well be ace ventura in the scene you know yeah. and you it's like he's giving ace ventura do- sorry i didn't mean to yell over you i got excited <laughs> no no actually you bring up a better point than i was going to say it's like if ace ventura was obsessed with the number 23 yeah 23 <laughs> different species of spiders <laughs> i can't wait to see fire marshal bill do a fucking film noir thanks Thanks, Joel. Jesus Christ. So you think there's 26 letters in the alphabet, do you? <laughs> Let me show you something. <laughs> like, at what point? Why was he to have to be like, all right, we want to do like a throwback to like film wars to be really stylized. Oh, oh yeah, I can answer that. It's, I mean, Joel Schumacher has a history of working with uh, Jim Carrey. He really likes his work but according to imdb this is his 23rd film so theoretically he has history with a lot of people that aren't jim carrey True. he has history with fucking arnold schwarzenegger too actually better movie oh, such a better movie imagine uma thurman in this movie boy no i can't actually i can't imagine this right movie now. with anybody that i could take seriously in it oh okay the number 23 but it's just bane yelling bane and pointing at the number 23 <laughs> Twenty-three stars. And then <laughs> two divided by three is. <laughs> All right, he figured it out. He's the killer. Oh, Twenty-three very, very angry misfits. <laughs> very bitter misfits. Are you sorry. saying twenty-three bitter beings? Twenty-three <laughs> bitter beings. You piece of shit. <laughs> sorry, I uh, forgot how it went. You can't reference CKY on the number twenty-three episode. <laughs> <laughs> 23 very bitter beings. There we go. The joke. I'm putting it at the beginning of the podcast now. Our sweetheart of the podcast, Bernadette Durr. 
We're an hour into this episode. So he, so he captures the dog by telling it a really stupid story. And I'd like to thank the movie for not, like, bringing that story back later like a parable. Because that's something that, like, fucking M. Night Shyamalan would have done. <laughs> something that I thought Joel Schumacher would have done, too. Yeah, but you know, Turns Joel out Schumacher has restraint. The man behind uh, bat nipples has restraint. <laughs> gonna disagree on that one when we get to the dream sequence of them holding a saxophone in the rain there, buddy. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll, well, we've got another dream sequence to get to before that. Okay, 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 so okay. Ready. First things first. So he's walking, and he kind of just kind of narrates a movie like this. I'm just, you know, sometimes it rains outside and it's cold. And then, you know, I read a book one time. And uh, one of the quotes there that really stuck with me is destiny. Maybe that's too big a word. Uh, and I'm like, no, that's actually not big enough to describe what happens. Coincidence would be the <laughs> word. <laughs> and that's a bigger one than destiny. <laughs> Happenstance. Uh, I actually have to admit, I am on his side. Uh, blood red is a hideous color for the living room walls. <laughs> what the fuck, lady? That was, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's me she was more it. complicit than the movie told us. Exactly. <laughs> like, I, I, I gotta admit, I don't know a whole lot about interior design, but I see those red walls, I'm like, oh, I'd have to move. <laughs> but then again, you're not gonna get another house that nice on a dog catcher's salary. Exactly. <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah. Do you think he had to win an election for that? Let's move on. So... <laughs> We could talk about, I, I, I don't know if they're dream sequences necessarily, uh, give away a spoiler, they're actually flashback sequences, but at first they're almost like he's reading books, so it's like story within a story sequences, it's like in the story this little boy grew up in a midtown sort of thing and he wanted to be a detective and stuff like that, and I want to talk about the sequences and the way that they're filmed, and I want you guys to help me out here. Did movies used to look like this? You're no, the expert, yeah. not us. But, Every movie uh, no, looks like a fucking the, Franz Ferdinand video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, if you if you're asking whether movies used to look like this, the answer is we just watched Max Payne. You know the answer already. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. But boy, it just—it's it, not even that it looks bad. It does, but it's. It just looks wrong. It looks so off from everything else. The rest of the movie looks kind of normal. Why can't you just do that? <laughs> We're going to anyway. do what Sin City did, but here's the twist. It's going to look like shit. Tell you what, most, most people God. who are listening to this podcast are not going to actually watch the number 23. Please do not watch the number 23. <laughs> <laughs> do not mistake uh, so our we, excitement for like approvals. <laughs> so we should, we should describe the plot. So he's a dog catcher, and his wife comes across a book at a bookstore called The Number 23. Written by a man who I guess calls himself <laughs> Fingerling. <laughs> no, that's the main character. That is not oh, the, the author of the book. That's oh, not the author. Never mind. It's uh, the well. The, the author of the book himself. is, of course, one Topsy Kratz. Okay, so this, we have to figure out which is the dumber name. So Detective Fingerling is uh, that's a pretty bad name. Like you hear that, it keeps saying Fingerling because. Who gives a shit? <laughs> but this book was written by someone who calls himself Topsy Kritz. It's like you could have called yourself Ludi Kruss. I guess fucking Sven Gulli was taken. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> act. I mean, and he keeps saying Topsy Kritz like it's normal. Like, if, if you see that name is written by Topsy Kritz, you throw the thing in the fucking fireplace. Honey, like, I found how? a book. It's by Dr. Demento. Joy. <laughs> 
how fucking smooth does your brain have to be to have the reveal at the same time as the characters go, oh, it's top secrets. Like, yeah. you, you have to, like, you I mean, have to be as brain damaged as Jim Carrey's character in this movie. Well, that's the thing. Is there's like, a couple moments where they just say top secrets. And, like, they don't... <laughs> And nobody yeah. picks up on it. Like, it's it's like different people say top secrets out loud, and I was like, hey, fuck it. Fuck you. Go back to work. Leave me alone. What? I mean, who who names our kids Topsy besides, like, Cotton Hill's mom's <laughs> friends? <laughs> Remember Topsy? You could blow his face up. <laughs> and it, it's, it's funny because, like, you can tell that somebody said something to Joel Schumacher when they were making this movie. And I say this not to jump ahead, but, like, the fucking scene where Jim Carrey and his stupid kid are going out to dig up the body by circling the twenty-third word on the twenty twenty-third letter of the twenty-third word on the twenty-third page of each page of the book, and his kid looks at it and goes, "Covenant Spark? What the hell is Covenant Spark?" Well, like everyone else is sitting there, like, "Oh, these people are idiots. They mean Covenant Spark." Like, <laughs> so clearly, like that, that scene had to be like the last thing they added on. I'm just like. Oh no, they saw through our master plan to name these <laughs> top secret character Topsy Kratz. No, no, you don't right. understand. They saw Am the I giving da Vinci this movie code. too much credit? Like, they saw the Da Vinci Code and they were like, oh, we should do that, you know? God so damn, I didn't even code think went, of that. That's perfect, yeah, actually. Went, Son yeah. of a bitch, they stole her idea. Yeah. So, we have to talk about uh, some of these. They're borderline fantasy sequences. I guess dream sequences, sort of. Dude, he, I... he, he's a detective who doesn't play by the rule. It's one of those like very film noir sort of sequences. I'm just going to call this the Fabrizia segment. He meets a woman calling herself Fabrizia. I think it's also played by Virginia Madsen. And uh, he has sex with her, and they're playing a She Wants Revenge song. Boy, and, are they. When and, I heard that, dude. I... And it's so loud. It is so, so loud. And for, Jim Carrey's got this tribal tat all over his shoulders and back. It's so a, fucking funny, dude. For a movie that, like, doesn't use music at all, the fact that there's just a minute and a half of a She Wants Revenge song over a sex scene <laughs> is so fucking funny. Because you, you, wanna... hear, you hear, like, fucking eight bars, you're like, what the fuck, is this Joy Division? And then you're like, oh, no, it's that <laughs> band that ripped off Joy Division. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay, I remember them now. <laughs> You know, it's weird. I almost don't want to call it a sex scene. It's more like an erotic scene because it's kind of shot like how a photographer would shoot like someone in a bra. I'd be like, look, you can see a cleavage shadow. It's erotic. It's... And it, it, I just feel like Batman and Robin had more raw sexuality than this scene. It, honestly, it reminded me of like when somebody re-uploads like a celebrity porn video to a porn site and puts their own music over it <laughs> it's the only way I can think to describe this scene it makes no fucking sense Parker are you currently imagining Ray J tapping him while she wants revenge please <laughs> yes. the topsy crit celebrity blowjob challenge taking you back to fucking 2011 baby let's do this <laughs> And then the part where China comes on, you're like, I'm going to close this tab now. I can't oh, believe that Vern Troyer? I can't believe that Topsy Kretz released the fappening. Oh, it's good to yeah. be the king. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Damn it. The, yeah, you win the all-time yeah. best one. <laughs> it really is. Okay, so here's the biggest problem in the movie. And yeah. We're, su- we're supposed to take parts of this seriously, I guess. Uh... At first, I thought this was supposed to be, like, 
uh, a get your rabies shot parable. Because, like, he gets bit by a dog, and then he starts having paranoid delusions. And I'm just like, oh, it's all going to be revealed to be, like, a rabies dream or something. That's a real thing, right? Don't look it up. So, uh, it turns out, no, it's we're supposed to take it seriously. And that the number 23 can make you all fucked up because obsessions and delusions and stuff like that. I can't take a movie seriously where a woman buys a book, reads it. Then her husband sees it lying around. It's like, I guess I'll read that. And he just reads it. And realizes it's about his life, and he just reads like a chapter at a time to be like, Yeah, what are you doing today, Jim? Well, I'm reading this book about me, Walter Sparrow. <laughs> yeah, I've been reading a, human being a chapter a day of chicken noodle soup for the teenage soul, and uh, starting to really piece the universe together. <laughs> so, uh,. After the Fabrizio segment, we get to the Suicide Blonde segment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, the Suicide Blonde segment, that just already feels like one of the segments from Sin City. It truly does. That, yeah. Man. And it kind of looks like a steal from. Steal from one that made money. <laughs> I mean, when you write, you write. Actually, this one made a fair amount of money against a $23 million budget. Uh, so... This is where the confusion turns to farce. Like, during the Fabrizia segment, I wasn't really sure what the movie was going for or, like, exactly what was going on. This is where it all claimed, like, oh, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is really stupid. And this is where uh, Parker, one of your favorite quotes, comes in. <laughs> I picked up another favorite quote this time around. Oh, did you? Is so there's two. First of all, there's when she's describing it, when she just goes, the number 23 it rules my world. And there's just a flashback <laughs> to her dad sitting on the bed going like, hey girl, like, this is a lot of cool stuff here. And then he just blows his head off. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course later when she says, <clears throat> pink is my favorite color. Do you know what pink is? Red, 27. White, 65. 65 plus 27, 92. Pink has four letters. 92 divided by four. 20 fucking three. And that's where I looked down and I'm like, oh my god, we're like 25 minutes into the movie. Now, hold on. So I got to that line and I thought that line was really good. But this is almost like a Bubble Boy sequence with the uh, <laughs> the kidnapping thing where you didn't, you didn't uh, give the best part of that exchange. The best part of that exchange is Jim Carrey says, wow, uh... Want to get a cup of coffee? <laughs> That's like the funniest follow-up I could possibly imagine in that scene. I just, I was so happy when this fucking stupid-ass line boomeranged back into the movie a second and then third time. <laughs> Much like Bubble Boy playing Dammit. <laughs> oh, I guess this is growing up. Yeah. The, the fact that like they literally take this audio line of the dumbest thing I have ever heard in cinema. <laughs> And they play it back again. And then he meets somebody with a pink tie and goes over it a third time. Yeah. Like, I... So I want to... We should describe what's happening. So Walter Sparrow, played by Jim Carrey, (laughs) is reading the book. And he's, he's realizing that a lot of the parts of the book seem to match parts of his life. Uh, there are obvious differences. He's not a cold-blooded detective. He's a dog catcher. He's, he's Walter Sparrow. He's not fingerling. But uh, there are parts that do match up. He's starting to get delusions, and he's starting to see the number 23 everywhere, too. And 
he starts like adding up numbers and uh, like his birthday. He can add up his birthday and it gets a number 23. Social security number, 23, et cetera, et cetera, 23. And a lot of this is just with simple arithmetic. And, uh, and he's telling his wife and son about this. And his wife is like, oh, come on, you're delusional. You can, if you think about it, you'll see it everywhere. It's like saying, don't think about a purple elephant. What are you thinking about a purple elephant? And his son is like, wait, there, there actually is something going on here. And this is where I thought of the funniest joke that the movie didn't use. Because at one point, his son says, wait, 16 plus 4 plus 7? And I, I, I kind of cut him off at that point. And I was like, wait, if he had 16 plus 4 plus 7, it gets 23 out of that? <laughs> That would have been the funniest thing in the world. It's like, 16 plus 4 plus 7 equals 23. And Jim Carrey is just like, well, the idea is the important thing. I don't that see would a... have been the funniest punchline in the entire movie. I don't see a single calculator in this fucking movie. And we're bringing out fucking RGB hex numbers. Like, what? Okay. Sure, whatever you say. R is 47. Cool. I... That would have been so much funnier if he had done that. Sixty plus four and seven is twenty-three. And his son's either just really stupid or he's fucking with him. Now, uh, speaking of Bubble Boy, I also left out how that scene ends, which is Detective Fingerling walking out of the house, the house going, "I figure it's a job well done," and then her body just slams on the pavement. <laughs> it's... I'm like, it's no way it wasn't timed on purpose to be hysterical. <laughs> That's the thing, it's like I, I've read so many like true crime, cold, hard boiled detected stories and stuff like that, and I've seen plenty of those kinds of movies and stuff like that. This actually works as like a really good parody of that. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen should have been this character. Yes. <laughs> yes. Holy shit. Job well done, and she just falls behind him <laughs> and he keeps walking. <laughs> Crazy broad. And then he's colorblind, and then the movie's over. Yeah. I just so, rewrote it. <laughs> yeah. So there's only one number that appears in this movie more than the number 23. And that's the number 32. <laughs> <laughs> the movie wastes no time. It's like, all right, here's the central idea. He got it great. We're just going to start stretching immediately. <laughs> like, 23. Well, that's not enough occurrences. What if we double it? Hold <laughs> <laughs> the fuck up. Triple. Quad. Oh, my God. And reverse? Every card in the Uno deck is represented. Put there that number one. down, flip it, and reverse it. <laughs> there was one on the trivia page, which might as well be its own segment of this podcast, where uh, he, he stayed in like a hotel room. And I think it was like hotel room number uh, 1232. Not only does it have a 23 and a 32, but and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, Whoever that, wrote that should be in prison, by the way. Yeah. Thir- <laughs> Whoever's looking at every number in this movie and just taking pen to paper and figuring it out is That's the thing. Like, it's kind of obvious how many 23s are in the movie. Like, you look at it, like, the, the first one, February 3rd. Oh, God. Like, there's, like, a million of these, and it, it, the camera will just show them. At one point, it's 11-11 uh, at night, and then as soon as he wakes up, it's 11-12, and he just gets up and leaves the house. And I, <laughs> I, I have to admit, I... I really wasn't able to establish this movie's mood. It just felt like a dark comedy with that part because he really just gets up and drives away. Because, like, it's a pretty basic three-act structure. At minute 30, he's already writing out numbers on the walls. And five minutes later, he's already unconscious with numbers written all over his arm. 
Like, his mind breaks <laughs> immediately. He gets bit by a dog and just like, well, I guess they got poo brains now. You know, uh, he divided 96 by... What the fuck are you talking about? So he, he decides to go see uh, a college psychologist professor. Uh, and he goes into his room and he says like, yeah, hey, hey, doc, I, I've been having a lot of delusions. I keep seeing 23 everywhere. And re- read the story. Like, it's, it's got 23 everywhere. It's a lot like my life. And the guy's like, take it easy. There's... If you look for 23, you'll find it everywhere. For example, if you look at the human DNA sequence, you have 46 <laughs> chromosomes, 23 for each parent. If you look in the uh, the Bible, you'll see 22 uh, books of Revelations. We all know what happens after that. It just, just gives him at least 23 <laughs> uh, different iterations of 23 appearing. And that guy just stomps on his brains. <laughs> that guy is the worst psychologist of all time. Hey, I'm having a real problem. I'm starting to lose my mind with this number. Oh, check this shit out. It's all over history. <laughs> you just fucking found you're it, better off, Keep you're digging. Better off, <laughs> you're better off taking your chances with Hannibal Lecter. Like... <laughs> Like, he's he just like, be like, you're right. All those fucking Stacys just want Chads. You should show them what's up. Like, Thanks a lot, dog. <laughs> <laughs> fucking super. Fucking, he's the Jordan Peterson of this movie. <laughs> he warps these fragile little minds. He's like, it's like Jim Carrey hands him his brain. It's like, please fix this. He's, he's just like the Muppet ship. Just Are you, Chris, Chris, hold on. Are you suggesting that Jim Carrey's character in this movie lost his memory because he ate something that wasn't meat? <laughs> Getting out of bed at eleven twelve exactly to make his bed and then lay back in. <laughs> I'm del- I'm sorry. I'm still talking about that eleven twelve scene. Not a single word. He just gets up and leaves. This psychologist like should. At the end of this movie, he should also be in prison because <laughs> he just told him like, yeah, actually the this thing you like, you know, it's driving me crazy. It's actually in the Bible too. It's been around forever, man. Like it's fucked up. Honey, it's two thirty. It's time for your apple cider vinegar. I fuck it. I think my favorite one of those is when he's just. It's one of those dream sequences where he's just standing in the window and he lists off like twenty of them, and one of them's like, Ted Bundy was executed on the twenty third of January. No, he wasn't. <laughs> fucking Googled it. No, he wasn't. <laughs> this movie fucking rules. I'm, I'm glad we have Parker to fact check this. He's the ombudsman. <laughs> Did you also fact check like, the young kid's math? No, because I was too busy laughing at the scene where he's wearing a wife beater, fucking a girl on the floor, and the mid thrush just goes, You have 20, 30 pairs of shoes. <laughs> movie is so fucking good. Parker, if you don't think I'm going to do that next time. <laughs> next time you what? Uh, uh, watch a James Woods movie. So Man, anyway, You guys are making me want to watch The Accountant again. What are we doing next week? Oh my god. So... <laughs> I mean, here's the... Parker, you know I'm right. <laughs> you are. Shit. So, okay, wait. I'm glad you bring up the accountant, though. Because that's kind of like a Miss Bowling pin for this movie. So, Fingerling's father was uh, an accountant. And he said that he wished his son would have gone into numbers, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. that leads kind of to like a, a Joker-esque backstory sort of thing. But here's my thing. I kind of thought like the dad would be like one of those people who could like smell numbers or whatever. And like... (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. Chris, we have a a term for that that we're not allowed to say on this podcast without getting canceled. (laughs) Hey, Josh, come here. Say the the thing. (laughs) 
I don't want him. Okay, so. <laughs> Josh just pops his head into your bathroom. Like, hey, you guys recording? <laughs> yeah, so I was just playing the N64. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I thought, like, his dad would, like, beat him with a belt 23 times because he didn't know how to do his own taxes at the age of eight. Uh, but they don't do that. Anyway. W2. Uh, <laughs> third letter of the... Oh my god. It's 25 w- minus 2. Holy wait, shit. Wait a second. W2. W is the third letter of the alphabet. Uh, backwards. So... <laughs> Divide by Z or care. Oh my god. Like, did you, okay. But this does kind of bring up the point. It's like, if you look everywhere, you can kind of see 23 everywhere. Or in this case, you could literally just make it up. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It kind of just feels like one of those stupid, like Facebook viral videos. It's like, I'm a magician. I'll guess whatever number you're thinking of. Just if it's your birthday, do this number and then add this and times it by this. And you know, if multiply it by zero and let me guess your number was zero. Okay. If I guess you have to share this video. Well, that's kind of what they're doing in this. You know, it's like, it's obviously going to add up to 23 and you put a fucking signpost in between two and three. Come on. Listen, listen, respect to all the magicians out there. Your grift is strong. Oh yeah, it is. So, uh, you know, for a movie called the number 23, it kind of feels like 23 appears a little too often. (laughs) Like I'm kind of, I'm kind of overwhelmed by it. You know, like it's it's like what if your movie was uh, uh, Parker? You you might know better than I would. What's what are those like Italian horror movies? A Giallo or something? Oh my God! If this was a Giallo, no, 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 Just... no, no. I'm going somewhere with this. So, you know how those have like a lot of blood in them, and it's like really, really red, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what if like the whole movie was like that, and eventually the color starts to like wear on you? You're exhausted by all the red you keep seeing. You're like, okay, I'm kind of annoyed by it. Same thing here. I'm like every single time he brings it to my I'm like okay i get it you know they really beat you over the head with it so quickly and so early that by the time like yeah 32 the reverse 23 you're like yeah movie you're right that is the number 23 (laughs) where is chapter 23 in the book it must be significant so we we forgot uh i don't know how we did this we forgot one of the most memorable characters in the movie we have to talk about ned Can you imagine if Ned was the dog in Volcano? (laughs) Ned! Ned! (laughs) So he's chasing around Jim Carrey. (laughs) The nerve of this movie is just like, okay, he's reading this book and it's kind of like a weird pulpy thing. It's kind of about him. Oh, there's the dog. Why is this dog at a grave? Hey, we're an hour in movie. You better fucking get to whatever we're doing. You can't keep pivoting like this. <laughs> that dog's coming right for him. <laughs> so, <laughs> fuck me, whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, he he calls it nasty evil dog. He sure does. And then he calls it nasty evil dead dog, and his <laughs> wife's like, about "Okay, to run it over." Yeah, and they're like, "No, please don't run over the dog." And I'm like, the exact same voice. No, please don't run over the dog. God, but like. <laughs> Okay, we also the forgot fucking... about uh, Chekhov's gun. <laughs> yeah, the fucking dog tranquilizer gun from the first scene. Yeah, he's when he goes to stay at around when he goes to stay at the King Edward Hotel because King Edward was born on the twenty third. You know, 
Wait. He's just, he sees the dog in the street, starts putting on his pants, goes to his <laughs> duffel bag, which is empty except for a dog tranquilizer <laughs> shotgun, grabs it and runs out after. <laughs> what if it was like T2 where that dog's walking around and he just walks up holding a box of roses and just pulls a fucking <laughs> drink gun out of it and shoots that dog? I can't believe he brought a fucking dog BFG to this. <laughs> he truly did. <laughs> And the thing is, like, when you see it, you only see it in silhouette. So it looks like a sawed-off shotgun. Like, I'm not kidding about that. It genuinely looks like, oh my god, he's gonna he's gonna paint the graveyard with that dog's brains. And he's like, movie? he leaves his hotel that he left at eleven twelve. Wait, eleven twelve. Twelve divided by eleven. No, eleven divided by twelve. Okay, we'll, we'll work on that one. Uh, he leaves to go chase down that dog. He's like, that's that dog. And he gets out and he chases down the dog to a graveyard and shoots it with a train gun right in the butt. And a priest <laughs> comes out and says, no, my son, like clergy. You guys are in big fucking trouble church. now. <laughs> then it's like... Stimbleton's dog just called? <laughs> and then he comes out and it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like from, it's like the gardener from the screaming skull except this guy has no lines <laughs> that's a reference I didn't thought I'd ever make this, and, this movie leans so hard into like the spooky movie iconography and then none of it means fucking anything the nerve to have this thing of like oh my god the dog is it led him to this grave and then he just shoots it in the ass with a drink it's like alright get this piece of shit out of your movie <laughs> yeah the fucking the, the gardener who owns the dog who just found him so there's really no explanation or anything no meaning or anything behind any of this uh, it's He's kind of like Yanni the Yanitor, you know? He just doesn't... <laughs> between, between this and the fucking clerk at the hotel with the scar on his face that, like, we see again later in a flashback, like, ah, yeah, it's that guy that was hanging out at the hotel. He must know something. Right. Nope! <laughs> <laughs> Incorrect. It is just some spooky-looking guy that's in two scenes for absolutely no reason. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, they, they're looking through Top Secrets. Wow, what a mysterious name. Where can we find this guy? Uh, oh, I, I guess we, we forgot to mention, it's kind of a stupid plot point, but uh, it's like, oh, this guy killed his wife, right? And uh, they goes to visit him and was like, no, he couldn't have killed his wife because his name only is 17. I mean, you would talk about a scene that could be cut from this movie that dares to be over 90 minutes. That yeah, and then they go to like, God. then they go to the post office because they bought, <laughs> look, okay, now I have to admit, I was nodding off this movie, I can only imagine why, and it kind of sounded like they wanted to buy 23 packages of packing peanuts. <laughs> Correct. Is Correct. That, oh my, okay, well I can, I can safely say I don't remember why. Anyway, they go there and they're like, it's you, Topsy, and the guy looks at him and goes, Ooh, and runs away, and uh, Jim Carrey, <laughs> Jim Carrey chases him down. <laughs> And stabs him with. I'm sorry. I get something about Topsy from King of the Hill. I know. <laughs> just blow out his cheeks. If I'm ever just like trying to buy stamps and someone addresses me angrily as Topsy, I'm trying to kill myself immediately. Anyway, does I guess it's Jim Carrey stabs him with a. Is that a letter opener or something? He kills really him. Disrespects he kills him, him in there. He kills him he, in the neck. Jim Carrey does not kill him. He slits oh. his own throat. Oh, my bad. Okay, yeah, you got me on that it, one. It's understandable, hey. because this movie is idiotic. Right, but... so, they, so that guy gives himself the stamps. I know it's you, uh, Topsy. He should be dead and just fucking bites down on that cyanide capsule. Yeah. So, uh, 
I, uh, Jim Carrey leaves to do something. I don't remember. Uh, anyway, he's still obsessed, still obsessed, still he's, obsessed. He's fucking, he leaves, and his wife goes, don't worry, I'll handle this. His wife, who has been skeptical literally the entire movie, sees this guy slit his throat, and then goes, All right, you take our kid home, I'm gonna handle this, and then goes <laughs> to the spooky haunted asylum by herself. She right. goes to the room from that picture with the dungeon with the CRT and the GameCube in it. She just goes into that room and then finds the magic plot chest. Oh, right, yeah. So she gets that, and I, I guess she brings it home. Uh, anyway, they... I'm, I'm kind of missing some scenes, so if I if I get something wrong, let me know. By the way, that psychology professor, I think his name is Isaac, uh, he... I think he just has free run of the house. He just keeps coming in and driving his wife everywhere. It just He keeps popping up, like, fucking... I like uh, who, who, who's like a character who's always it, seen like someone's wife. I guess, dude, this is a real Phil Hartman and Jingle All the Way right, situation. Right, right, right. That, thank you. <laughs> he just keeps rolling in and eating his fucking cookies while he's out <laughs> digging up graves. Uh, Jim Carrey saying, "Put the cookie down." Uh, so they're like, "Oh, hey, son, a real father-son bonding activity." Let's read the twenty-third word on the twenty-third on every twenty-third page of this book. Uh, so they do that. And, and by the uh, way, like, the son is all in. He's been in since day one. He's like, yeah, Dad, you're right. Circle those words. Let's go dig up a fucking body, dude. So, so they, they find it. I have to admit, I, I forgot that his name was Walter Sparrow. But one of the words that he circles is Sparrow. And I laughed pretty hard at that. Uh, Must be a so coincidence. They, they go to the... Is it a grave or something? I think they go to the park. They go to the they go to the park. Yes, yeah, they go they, to the the steps that he's walked down like a million different fucking times in this movie while walking the fucking book, and they find the twenty third step and they dig under it, and well, you know, there's a spooky skeleton. But how did they get there though? I mean, it's it's Constitution Spark. What what sparked the Constitution? <laughs> is this like a, a spin off uh, of the National so... Treasure? They, they unfortunately, for runtime reasons, had to cut the scene where him and his son go to Boston Harbor and dump all of the tea out. Man, better movie. Lobster. This really does feel like uh, National Treasure one and a half. So, um, yeah, they, they dig up some of the dirt and they find a fucking skull in there. And uh, I don't know why, but they I guess they leave and come back and uh, the skull is gone. And it's. And again, this this is where like I became really convinced. Like, hold on, I must be missing something because this has to be a dark comedy. Because Jim Carrey says, I, I think I'm quoting him word for word here. No, I'm not crazy. I circled the twenty third word on every twenty third page, and like, come on, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's like it's funny that he's knowledge like, oh yeah, I guess I'm crazy. But like, he just dug up a skull thirty seconds ago. Like, were there reshoots like what the fuck is this that, movie that was so funny to me anyway so he tells his wife and they're, they're in the car driving back and his son says skeletons don't just get up and walk away which I'm, I'm pretty oh, sure actually. Velma Dinkley said that at one point <laughs> come on Shaggy skeletons don't just get up and walk away like this is we got to a dude slitting his own throat his wife going to the fucking Gonjum Haunted Asylum to dig up a treasure chest. They dig up a corpse. He's like, oh, Dad, skeletons don't just walk off on their own. Like, what? what is the tone of this movie? Thank you so much, <laughs> What is <laughs> From Gamer. Uh, this is actually the scene where he tries to run down that dog and his family has to stop him. Oh, my God, I forgot. 
so I think he notices that there's dirt underneath his wife's fingertail, uh, fingertips. And uh, he gets fingernails, fingertips, whatever. I don't give a shit. And, Fingerlings. Uh, you're not me. <laughs> uh, not anymore. Now, now that Parker said finger legs, I'm not going to have to leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> so they get home and she's washing her hands. He's like, it was you, wasn't it? And she's like, okay, hold up. Let's, let's be easy now, Jim. He's like, my name's Walter. Walter Sparrow. Not Jim Carrey. And she's like, okay. Joel, he's just kind of going for it now. And he dumps out her purse and said she's got a kitchen knife. I'm like, oh, maybe she did do it. What's going on here? Uh, Why does she have a kitchen knife? <laughs> I think she says to defend ourselves, and I was really waiting for Walter Sparrow to say, From who? The skeleton? <laughs> uh, that's the thing, it's like Jim Carrey's a little too funny in this movie. And I think it's deliberate. I, I really do. And I don't know if that was his decision, but like, there are parts of, like, this has to be like a genuine joke. But not this scene, because uh, Jim Carrey's just kind of weird in it uh anyway she's like uh he's like no you wrote it admit it admit it he's got a knife to his uh, wife's throat and his son walks in like dad uh if we still look at the hockey game tonight and uh she's like no so chill no honey you wrote it and then john was a zombie honest to god man <laughs> yes. just fucking smash cut to a creed song and let's go home no we're, so we're missing one of the uh unintentionally funny scenes in this movie they go down into the basement they opened up the chest from the spooky haunted <laughs> asylum. Uh, inside the chest is the original manuscript. There and? is a little sticky note covering up uh, to- uh, Walter Sparrow's name that said Topsy Chris. It was like, oh, it's written by Walter Sparrow. He's like, this can't be mine. And my good friend Isaac just walks down into their basement. He just has a front door key. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were, like... Again, this movie is, like, not exactly well put together or edited, but the fucking scene where Jim Carrey finds the picture in his own house of Isaac and his wife just on their fucking mantelpiece and throws it against the wall <laughs> is one of the most confusing things I've ever seen in a movie. He just like, never noticed it. he just actually been around? Like, it's, it's his house. They just moved in and painted. Like, I, I mean... He- you are not respecting the real working class here, okay? Fucking dog catchers have really tough hours. <laughs> Look, all I know is... When that dramatic reveal comes, they open that chest, and you see that saxophone. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. That's not just Eddie saxophone. He hugs that ca- that that saxophone. He holds it like it's his newborn. <laughs> fucking Dino Spumoni over here. <laughs> his fucking <sighs> film noir saxophone. <laughs> the way they dramatically just like go and peel that piece of paper off. He's like, oh my god, I am Topsy Yeah, I guess, well, now it is in fact time for Walter Sparrow's last bow because uh, he gets... <laughs> uh, I have to admit, I was I was falling asleep during this part. I wish I had fallen asleep because for me to learn that it was all just amnesia the entire time, that really he was the 23 killer. And then he like, gets really from, sad. He tells his wife, no, don't love me. No one can love me. He walks outside and wants to get hit by a bus. And then at the last second, the number like, twenty-three bus. Yeah, the number twenty-three bus. And then the dog Ned is still watching him, saying, "It's coming right for you." And uh, <laughs> he steps out of the way. <laughs> well, he's fucking. He's he's about to fucking get hit by this bus who has been honking for approximately thirty seconds because buses don't have brakes in this universe. Yeah, or turn and, signals uh, or anything. And his kid jumps out and goes, "Dad, no!" And then he's like, "Huh?" Takes a step back and goes. Well, I guess I learned my lesson. I'm going to go to prison now. <laughs> I need to do the, the confession. That's <laughs> <laughs> gay. Let's be to work at the accounting shack. <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, so they have a, like, a From scene one, if you know nothing about this movie, before you even get a single flashback, you're like, oh, clearly this book's written by him. So let's see, like, how are we going to get there? And it turns out at the minute fucking 78 to be like, it's amnesia. It's <laughs> such a colossal <laughs> fuck you. Okay, so here's my thing. I'm going to defend this ending. Uh, so midway through the movie, he finishes the book. He gets to the last page, and uh, Fingerling jumps off a building and kills himself. And Jim Carrey, the narrator, says, it wasn't much of an ending. In fact, it was no ending at all. And, and I thought to myself, oh my god, if the movie ends the same way that the book does, I am going to be furious. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, but instead I, the movie ends like my favorite film, Ouija House, where he rips <laughs> all the wallpaper off the wall to reveal I, the 23s, the final chapter. Ow. Shit. Um, you alright, buddy? I, I heard just, that. I just hit my elbow on this fucking... Thing. You know what's so funny about the funny bone? Actually, when they were first diagramming bones, it was the 23rd one they found. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. Well, that made me feel better. Uh, anyway, so they go to a funeral. For whom, exactly? The girl that Jim Carrey murdered, like, she, 15 years ago. Seems a little late. Wait, she's didn't they already have a funeral for her? She has a gravestone. I guess you do it twice. I don't know. I've never had a skeleton run away before. So. I mean, we, that, that's that's just stupid. Okay, well, all right, yeah, sure. They, if that's where you draw the line, that's fine. But I, I, I just agree with I you. Mean, I, I actually Chris, thought it was a funeral for uh, t- for the guy that they kill in the... Uh, the <laughs> no, fuck or... that, dude. They threw him in a fucking coffee cup. <laughs> Chris, like a big I, just, I, I, need you, I need you to think about something. Think about what our good friend Bonebot says. <laughs> Why Why were the pharaohs buried in pyramids? Because it was to provide their skeleton with clothes for the afterlife. Now, this skeleton, we know, got up and ran away from its grave. So right. it needs to be reclothed and reburied. Otherwise, its ghost is going to be naked. <laughs> There's a naked skeleton out there. Just imagine that the skeleton's name was Bedelia. Alright, so, uh, yes, that happens. Anyway, uh, also that one guy, remember the one guy who went to prison for the wrong thing because his name only had 17 letters? He's free now. Uh, (laughs) Only the cops knew about that. His name, no, he can't be the killer. His name is only 17. Uh, And Jim Carrey goes to the cops and uh, confesses, we don't see this, we just take his word for it. And uh, in a visual medium, you don't show one of these important things. And uh, he's sitting in the holding cell where his wife and son get to visit him because uh, I'm going to say it. I guess that's white privilege. And uh, he says the cops will go easy on me for murder. And uh, <laughs> I might be able to get out with parole because I admitted to it. And that makes it okay. Uh, and he says, well, you know, time is just a, it's just a way to measure things, much like numbers. And then the clock shows it's 2.15. Right. And then he kind of gives this look at the camera like, yep, that's what it's all about. And then the credits roll. <laughs> hey, buddy, what happens before the credits? What flashes on screen? Oh, just a Bible passage from Numbers 3223. <laughs> Surely your sin will come back to you or something like that. It was... Oh my god, if I could give a standing ovation. <laughs> the nerve to be like, fucking nailed it. Jackpot, baby. <laughs> Can you imagine watching this to the Alamo and not getting kicked out for the quiet rule? Uh, absolutely not. 
Because my order card, by the fourth time I raised it up, they'd be like, yeah, you think this is fucking funny. I got a lot of people in here. <laughs> There's a woman huh. called Fabrizia. <laughs> Enjoy your tip of 23 cents, dickhead. <laughs> gotcha. But seriously, I'd like two quesos. Please, God, I'm so hungry. I miss it so bad. I, I, Chris, I believe the technical term is dos quesos. Huh. Well, it says that this beer has an alcohol percentage of 3.2%. Interesting. <laughs> Who set this up? Who did this? Mods! Mods! <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine if we did like a fucking movie party for the number 23? Everyone there gets 23 cents in like Play-Doh money. <laughs> what would you do with that? Uh, look... Movie parties aren't exactly the most creative things in the world. That's you know what you're not wrong. They just jiggle it around whenever someone says twenty. Half the props you sit down and go, ah ha ha, I get it. No, and tell you what, you just leave it. You give you give everyone a cap gun and they can shoot it off whenever someone says twenty three or the number twenty three appears on screen. God, I don't think I think that Alamo go bankrupt buying caps for that. (laughs) You would be shocked. Have you been to one of the movie parties with cap guns? Those things are fucking that's a annoying. lot of that's a lot of caps, dude. Dude, they give you a ton of caps, though. All right, I'll, I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah, I have not, I have not been to a movie party. Oh, the, you good would reason. be. Yeah, you would be. Well, we'll take it to the next Elf movie party. Oh uh, boy. <laughs> oh shit! I uh, died just what I wanted the year I'm turning thirty. Hey guys, <laughs> we're going to see Elf. You and all your friends, and also these loud people that you're gonna hate. They're all wearing pajamas. <laughs> okay, so that's fun. <laughs> So, uh, the number 23, is it the worst movie we've ever seen? No, it's actually good. Parker, your thoughts? Look, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone, but I had a really good time. (laughs) I was dying laughing. It definitely, I'd say about the hour mark, is a real like, alright, let's wrap it up. I've had my fun here. But that first hour, it escalates so quickly. This movie is 25 minutes longer than the Mandela effect. <laughs> that what is... the fuck? You shouldn't have just lied and said 23 minutes longer than the Mandela oh. effect. And that's a double yeah, feature right yeah, there. Yeah. You can you can you can dub over that. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Man, this movie 23. Is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so ready to rip that audio and use it for all future episodes. Oh fuck, yeah, dude. <laughs> I wish we introduce every episode as number 23 from now on. Well, looks like uh, Chris only won three points in the game of games. Parker has four points in the game of games, but Alex is sitting pretty with 23 points. (laughs) (laughs) All my teams lose, but their point totals add up to 23, so I automatically win that week. (laughs) That's a pog. Well, let's see. Pat Chung had to pick six. What number does he wear? Well, you're in good shape. Pat Jack's not going to pick six. Okay, so, uh, Alex, your thoughts on the number 23. This movie fucking sucks, dude. Joel <laughs> <laughs> re- Schumacher fucking rules, dude. I, I remember when this came out, and it was getting, like, universally bad reviews. I think it has, like, an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. It sure does. Which, uh... Generous. That, that, Very that, generous. That tracks. That, yeah, that is pretty generous. And it's... Look, is it the worst movie we've done on this podcast? No, this isn't even as bad as Howard the Duck. But uh, you can have fun with it. I don't even know that I'd call it a good, bad movie. 
Uh, there are parts where I think that at some point they wanted to do this as a dark comedy, or at least Jim Carrey turned it into that. But there's not enough of it, so it's definitely yeah. inconsistent in that. I can't. I'm not like trying to praise it or defend it or anything like that. It's just I don't know. It's a feeling that I had when I watched it. Uh, I think this movie would be a whole lot more fun if I had watched it with other people instead of by myself. There's a version of this movie that's good, and there's a version of this movie that's funny, and this is neither of those. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I, what do you want me to do? Maybe we're going to get the Snyder cut of this. Oh God! If only the Schumacher cut, the four-hour edition, the number twenty-three, the twenty-three hour version, make it into oh. a miniseries. Holy shit! We just go we, like it actually like flashes back to the JFK assassination. We can see the twenty-three on the stock of the guy on the fucking grassy knolls rifle. Like, oh, yeah, it's like an anthology. really, really lean into it. It's just like Jim Carrey fucking sliding into alternate dimensions, like. <laughs> fucking Peabody and Mr. Sherman like as you can see right here on the 23rd of January I, you know <laughs> for me I, I, I'm kind of just stuck on that joke of like the sun being really stupid and just like making up all these 23 things that should have been like a running joke in a four hour version of this you should have been like wait a second there are 23 presidents and you know what happens after that no more presidents <laughs> god this movie sucks correct <laughs> And that's the tea, sis.
SEMUA